If you turn in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15, as we finish up chapter 15 before we move on to the final chapter, Paul, as he writes to the church, writes now in a future sense to all of us who are in the room tonight. He was also writing in a future sense to those who were alive at the time. And he gives us a little glimpse of the reason that we have the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and King. That one day, any day, there's nothing left to happen. The trumpet could sound and we who are alive and remain could meet the Lord in the air at any moment. The rapture of the church. But he reminds us that in order to get to heaven, in order to be with the Lord... We need some pretty substantial change because right now you're wandering around in an earthly tent. You may have not known that, but you're an earthly tent, a body that was built for this world, for this particular physical realm, and one day you're going to swap that one out. And so tonight, the new you, would you join me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promise that these earthly tents that are perishing one day will move into a new body, fit for heaven. Lord, glorious, not, not made with hands. Lord, not made out of the dust of this earth, but eternal. For those who love you, Lord, how we pray that you would speak to us through your word tonight and encourage us with it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin, before we turn to the 35th verse here in 1 Corinthians 15, with a passage that every believer ought to take a look at and know, because it's the reason for that gospel sharing in the gym. It's the reason you don't want to miss the opportunity to share Christ with people around you. It's the reason that we need to be busy about our father's business because scripture is very clear. Every single human being that has ever lived is going to live on into eternity. It is only a question of where you are going to spend eternity. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 And then I saw a great white throne in him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death in Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. And then death and Hades 
were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. A somber and absolutely perfect understanding of why preaching the gospel is what God's people should be about. Because the truth of the matter is, one day, after the church is taken home via the rapture, or we die individually and go to be with the Lord, a seven-year period known as the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation, the great tribulation, a seven-year time that's been like no other time in human history. When God pours out his wrath on this earth because people have chosen to not believe on his name and have walked in rebellion to God for seven years, the enemy is going to have his way with this planet, completely unrestrained. The Antichrist will rise. The false prophet will come. There will be those that will be martyred for their faith. 144,000 of the tribes of Israel will be sealed. They will witness to the goodness of God during that period of time. Finally, at the end of those seven years, a trumpet will sound in heaven. And on a white horse comes the king. But not as the lion or as the lamb, but as the lion of the tribe of Judah. To bring one final battle, the battle that we call the Battle of Armageddon, to its climax. Billions upon billions of people will die in that battle all over the world. The reason I'm sharing this with you is this. You don't have to be there for that. And neither does anybody else you know. Because to those who believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they shall be saved. And what you're saved from is exactly what that time is, which is God's wrath being poured out on this world. You see... Everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. The only question is, will it be in heaven with the Lord or will it be in the lake of fire with every demon, Satan himself, the false prophet, the antichrist, and every person who's never given their life to Jesus. Those whose names are not found in the book of life. And so the passage that's before us sets out an alternative to what we know to be the end of those who do not believe. And you're probably saying, man, Jeff, I wish I'd stayed home. You got to start like this. Good news is not good news without the bad news. Amen? 
The bad news is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The good news, anyone who will believe can be saved. Amen? And so the picture that we have before us is what happens to those of us who are saved. What happens to those of us who have believed? Who have rested and trusted in Jesus? who've received grace through faith. We're going to receive new bodies. I can't wait. Every morning when I wake up, I wonder, is this going to be the day that I'm going to see the orthopedic surgeon for knee surgery? You know, you just kind of locks up and you're like, well, that's not working very well. You go to squeeze your hands. It's like, well, those don't quite close all the way. You look out of your eyes without glasses. Those are not working so well. You look at the age spots, and there's more age spots than there is spots without age. You check out your follically challenged uh, knob up there, and you go, wow, that's all gone. You literally roll out of bed. Why? Because these bodies have a date stamp on them. They weren't made to last forever. The good news is you're going to get a whole new you. Amen? Not limited by the laws of nature, but sufficiently like the you that you see today that everyone who's ever known you will still know you, just like they knew Jesus. Always amazing to me when you read the post-resurrection accounts of the Lord, how is he traveled through walls and walked into rooms and met with the disciples. I'm pretty sure you can't do that right now. But scripture seems to indicate that one day you're going to be just like the Lord. Amen. Now, I don't know how many of you ever wanted to fly, but I have always wanted to be able to fly without a plane, mainly because the seats are too narrow. But one day, One day, the day that Peter John's already seen, because his tent was gone, worn out, lost its usefulness. But I guarantee you, he is not agonizing over that loss right now. Because he's received that new one from the Lord. Apostle Paul said, I... Don't want you to misunderstand this. We'll not be as disembodied spirits, but we shall be clothed. When this mortality casts off its mortality and becomes immortal, one day you're going to have a new body fit for the heavens. So we'll pick up in verse 35. And Paul begins with some lessons from creation. Father, bless us now as we study your word. Encourage us and strengthen us. Build us up. Give us zeal for the cause of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. But some will say, how are the dead raised up? And remember, the argument he's just made is there is a resurrection. Jesus was raised. We're going to be raised. And so... What's that going to look like? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? 
I've been asked that question by little kids. I've been asked that question by teenagers. I've been asked that question by adults. You know, what are we going to look like? Long answer, we don't know. Short answer, Jesus. We're going to have bodies that are fit for heaven, just like Jesus' current body is fit for heaven. Though when the disciples saw him, they knew it was him. But it wasn't like, like the one that he was in when he was murdered on the cross. How were the dead raised up and with what body will they come? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And so we're going to get some lessons from creation here initially. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but a mere grain, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. And so here's a little lesson from botany, amen? If you've ever planted a seed, you know that they're ugly little brown things that don't look a thing like the plant that they're going to turn into, amen? And guess what you have to do? You've got to bury them. You've got to put them six feet under, so to speak. They have to go in the ground. And in the process of being buried, they then are transformed from that little seed that looks as dead as a doornail into a luscious plant. Maybe your favorite vegetable or your favorite fruit. And so Paul is arguing from the truth that there is a resurrection. And so the questions, which he kind of seems to glance over, basically, is this. How will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies are they going to have? What are we going to look like? Well, there's all kinds of different bodies. And if you look in the infantile state of almost anything, and it doesn't matter whether it's plant or animal, it doesn't look a thing like that animal or that plant when it's grown. And so he's saying, look. That's the way it's going to be with the resurrection. Your bodies now are essentially a seed of what is going to be when you are raised. Oh, the DNA is there. The you is there. The person that you are is still going to be there. It's resident within the seed. But when you're raised up, you're going to be as different as a grain of wheat that is buried in the ground from the wheat stalk that is the plant. But you're still going to be wheat. You're still going to be noticeable as a human being. And this is one of those wonderful passages that we look back on. And sometimes when we think of someone that we love who's gone on to heaven, we long for that reunion, amen? How much of a reunion would it be if you didn't recognize anybody in heaven? You get there and you're wandering around heaven for a few thousand years looking for your spouse or your mom or your dad or looking for your brother or your sister or your aunt or your uncle or your cousin. Of course, you are going to be known there as you were known here. You're going to be identifiable as you. But you're also going to be without the physical limitations of sickness and disease. You're not going to wear out. You're not going to need new knees. Nobody's going to have titanium knees in heaven. And so he says, look, I I want to square this away for you. Just like seeds in a garden. They have to die. They have to be buried. But when they come up, they're absolutely beautiful. 
And by the way, Jesus in John chapter 12 uses this exact same example about his own death that he was looking forward to at the crucifixion. And he said, unless, speaking of himself, a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Guess who the fruit is? It's you who have believed. Jesus died to bear fruit. And when he died, he brought forth as the first fruit of the resurrection, all of the rest of us who would follow him. And so this picture is the future for us. And though Jesus was referring to his own death, just as a dried, shriveled little seed, just like a seed of any type of plant, has no capacity, you take a seed, and you put it on your windowsill in your kitchen, it will not grow. It has to be buried. Now, you can bury it in a sponge. So if you get a seed in your sponge, count on a little, you know, something growing out of it. But it has to be buried. It has to die. And the new bodies that we're going to receive are going to be enough like the, the, the old you that people will know you, but so much like the new you that you're going to have capacities you never dreamt of. Verse 38, but God gives it a body as he pleases to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh of men and another flesh of animals, another of fish and another of birds. In other words, he's, he's saying whatever it is that you plant, wherever you start, whatever the old you was, you're going to be able to distinguish the new you from the old you. If you were a man, you're going to be a man. If you're a woman, you're going to be a woman, except there will be no gender roles per se. But you're going to know each other. But your relationships are going to be based entirely on the new understanding of love that is now complete in your life. So when you get to heaven, you think you love somebody here. You love your spouse here. I, I can't imagine living without my bride. I cannot imagine it. But I know what my Bible says. When I get to heaven, I'm going to be able to love her absolutely like the Lord does, which is going to be so far greater than my capacity to love her here that it will be infinitely greater than the love that I now have. But it's going to be human. It's going to be translatable to who we are, but infinitely above what we already know. Verse 40, there are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. The glory, the glory of the celestial is one. The glory of the terrestrial is the other. The glory of the sun, the glory of the moon, the glory of the stars, and it seems to indicate maybe galaxies there or clusters of stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. You know, around here we can only see like four stars in the night sky, right? You go outside between the light pollution and smog and everything else that we have, you look up and it's like, I don't even know if there are any stars up there. But if you go to the Sierras, you get up above 10, 11,000 feet, where you've climbed above the thermal climb and the smog, 
It's a nice clear night. You can literally see the Milky Way. What he's saying is, in essence, look, the glory of the sun, a single star, and the glory of a moon, which is a planet, and the glory of galaxies, plural stars, differ from the earth that we're on. And every one of those things has a substance that was formed by God. Now, if God put the time and effort into planets and stars and galaxies and moons and grains of wheat and even us people, and it is so amazing that we have 4,000 programs on cable TV about the creation How much more creative do you think he can get in the eternal space of the kingdom? It's going to be mind-boggling. Now, I don't know whether you're going to have Shekinah glory or not. I don't know whether you're going to be 800 feet tall. I have no idea if you can hit a golf ball 7,000 light years. I don't know if the fish are going to be 90 feet long, all of them, and you can catch them on two-pound tests. I don't know any of these things, so don't ask me. But I know this, when I consider the heavens and the moon and the stars, your handiwork, so God, those things which you created in six literal days, he's been working on heaven for who knows how long. Imagine what that's going to be like when we're no longer temporal, but we're eternal. I look forward to that day. I'm like, Lord, it's going to be mind-boggling. He says, look, you can look at the seeds, you can look at the plants, you can look at the animals, you can look at the galaxy itself, and you can wonder to yourself, man, what's God going to do when he glorifies his creation? He gives us four truths next about these bodies that we're currently in. And he says in verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. Look, when you die, or or when the Lord raptures the church, or if you're here tonight and you have not believed and you should happen to see a few million of us disappear and you stick around and make it through the tribulation, And when you see the clouds open up and the horse coming back, that's your cue. You better get right with Jesus. When you see that happen, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption. So in essence, you can have the one that you have right now. That one's perishable. Your physical body is perishable. If you don't believe that, all you got to do is make it to about your mid-50s and all of a sudden, gravity happens. Entropy happens. The laws of thermodynamics kick in and all things tend towards decay, okay? And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, those things that used to be your abs are now your knees, like those back up there 
actually say, look, these things are perishable. They got a date stamp. My son Brandon was trying to talk me into a tattoo one time. He didn't win. If he'd have gotten one, I, I'd, you know, we'd have talked about it, but it'd been okay. He actually wanted to put a date stamp on the bottom of his foot and have it say, go into Jesus. So that the day he died, somebody would look at the date stamp on the bottom of his foot with that toe thing on there that they put on you. And they'd go, where'd he go? (laughs) I loved it. You got a shelf life. It's like 70, 80 years, 90, maybe, 100. But you're going to perish. You're going to die. Your your body, when it dies, is going to be sown in dishonor. You know, the human condition, once you pass away, it gets real ugly really fast. I can tell you this as someone who's done search and rescue and found people that have been gone a while. It's not pretty. It's ugly. That decay, that dishonor, your body is going to be put in the ground in dishonor. But that's not how you're going to be raised. And you're not going to, you know, I always, you know, especially kids, you know, for, for a number of years, like everything was about the zombie apocalypse. You remember those days? It's like your kids would come home. Yeah, was, we were talking about what weapon we'd have to have if we were going to defeat zombies. Look, it ain't going to be like that. Those that die without Christ are going to exist in Sheol, in the abode of the dead until that passage that we read at the beginning of tonight's study, until the great white throne judgment. And they're going from there straight into the pit. But for those that know the Lord, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And you're going to need a body fit for heaven. And that's exactly what you're going to get. You're going to be raised in glory in that sense. These physical bodies that we're in right now, are, are, they're, they're sown, if you will, in weakness. But they're going to be raised in power. I don't know what kind of powers you're going to have in heaven. I have no idea how strong you're going to be, if you're going to be able to fling planets or, you know, any of those kind of things. If Albert Pujols can hit one, you know, 440 feet on earth, maybe he can hit it 440 miles in heaven. I don't know. But I know this, you're going to have power that comes from the source of all power, from the King of Kings and from the Lord of Lords. I can tell you right now, I don't have that power. In my younger days, I thought I was powerful. It was kind of one of those things, it's like, yeah, I can handle myself. One day you're going to have power like you've never known. And you're going to have no weaknesses. Anybody looking forward to that day? Any of you that struggle with headaches? There's no headaches in heaven. Any of you that have bad joints? You've got arthritis tonight. There's none of that in heaven. You've got cancer right now. And you're wondering when it's going to take your life. I can tell you what's not going to happen in heaven. There's no cancer in heaven. No weakness at all. 
No physical decay. When Adam sinned, he brought death and decay into this world. The second law of thermodynamics instantaneously was brought to bear on all of creation through Adam's sin. So when we get to heaven, that gets reversed. And I'm looking forward to that day. A fourth thing, every physical body, your body, my body has been sown in in, in a natural state, but it's going to be raised in a spiritual state. And there's a couple of interesting Greek words that are used here. Whenever you see soma in the Greek, soma means body. And so soma can be added to all kinds of things. And so soma sukikon means a body suited for life in this present world because it has a psyche that is physical and it's here. But a soma pneumaticon, that's a body of the spirit. And so he says, you're going to be sown in a body that's fit for here, but you're going to be raised in a body that's fit for there. Two totally different words. And so Paul's reminding us, look, one day you're going to have a spiritual existence, a full one. He draws contrast now between two men. Verse 45, and so it's written that the first man, Adam, became a living being. Now, we all know that Adam was made out of the dust of the earth, amen? He became a living being from that which was already created. So when someone asks you what you're made out of, you can just say dirt. I'm made out of dirt. Adam was made out of dirt. But the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That's a contrast. Adam made out of the dust of the ground. The last Adam is from the substance of heaven. That's why he was the child that was born and the son that was given. He has always existed in heaven. He came to this earth as our Emmanuel. And so one day you're going to make that swap. You see, you were born in Adam. But one day you're going to make the full transition to be like Christ. In every way, you're going to not only have that new nature, that transformed spirit, but you're going to be totally transformed. And just because we know that Jesus was raised, so we will also be raised in the same manner. So we're going to have a soma pneumaticon. We're going to have a spiritual body capable of spiritual things. Right now I have the spirit dwelling in me through Christ, amen, by the Holy Spirit. One day you're gonna be all spirit, just as they who worship him, worship him in spirit and truth because God is spirit. One day you're gonna make that leap. Verse 46, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural This is just a simple statement of fact. You were born. But you were born in Adam. And you were born a sinner. You were born needing a savior. And afterward, the spiritual. In other words, no one is born without an Adamic nature. A nature of Adam. You receive that nature when you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that transformation begins to happen. 
And it culminates with when you're glorified, when you go to heaven. And so Paul's saying, look, there's two men, there's two natures. And one day you're going to make that full transition. The first man was of the earth, of the dust. The second man is of the Lord from heaven. Amen? He's just illustrating this. He's saying, look, because the natural man came first to this earth, the natural man dies. Jesus existed in eternity past, and in him you will also exist in eternity. Because of Jesus. Verse 48, as was the man of dust, so there are, also, there are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And I want you to notice something. It doesn't say all in either case. It says some. Because while it is God's desire that all men be saved, not all men will believe. And you must believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. There is no other name under heaven whereby a man must be saved, a woman must be saved. It is at the name of Jesus that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's no other way. And so Paul's saying, look, there's two types of people in eternity. There are those made of dust that will spend eternity separated from God. Those that have never made the spiritual transition between a child who walks in the dark and one who walks in the light. One who believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and has received God's grace and forgiveness. And those who have not. They're just saints and ain'ts. There are those who believe and those who don't. There are no other types of people. There's not, well, I kind of sort of meant to get saved people. Because I have people talk to me about this. Well, you know, he's kind of almost a believer. Kind of almost a believer is an unbeliever. Can I just tell you that? Now, you may be mad at me right now. But if you have not believed on his name, you are not saved. You're not a Christian in waiting. You're not a Christian wannabe. You're not kind of sort of almost saved. You're actually just a little less dead than other people. But you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. And unless he makes you alive, you are not alive eternally. You're dead eternally, and you will be destined to spend that eternity in hell. You're all going, man, I really wish I'd have stayed home. (laughs) We need to speak this truth. The church has lost this truth. We're so afraid of offending people that we don't tell them the truth. There are people wandering around in your neighborhood that are perishing, and they're going to spend eternity in hell. And yes, I'm getting a little preachy right now. Maybe it's just because I'm old. Could be because the heat's on up here and it's really hot. (laughs) But the reason I'm saying this to you is don't dumb this down. There's exactly two destinations. There is no purgatory. You cannot get prayed out of hell. Doesn't matter how long your relatives sit around and go, you know, well, Jeff was almost a good person. God, could you let him out after three and a half thousand years of pain and suffering? You have this life, and once this life is passed, all opportunity to be saved is over. Let me make that clear. There is no getting prayed out, there is no purgatory where you go get it squared away. 
That is a lie from the pit of hell. When you die without Christ, you are dead eternally. Why am I driving this home? Because the church is prone to dumb this down and make it seem like, well, you'll see Aunt Susie in heaven. Sorry, Susie. I saw your face and I thought of your name. Susie is going to heaven. The reason I'm saying this is we have people wandering around all over in Christendom who continue to say, well, you know, she's a good person. Good persons don't get into heaven because they're good. Bad persons get into heaven because they're saved. You know the difference between those two things? It's called grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's his unmerited favor on us. By the works of the flesh is no one justified. So you've got to make sure. As we have been born in the image of the man of dust, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Amen? You know what the secret is? The we. Who's the we? It's those who have believed, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those ones that we saw mentioned there in Revelation chapter 20. John will write and we'll get to it in our study in 1 John in chapter 3 verse 2. Dear friends, now we are the children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know when he appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. One day we're actually going to be able to see Jesus for who he is, all of who he is. You're going to be able to stand in the presence of the glory of God. Can you imagine? Joining him with the angels, singing praises around the throne of God. Man, it's a whole new world. I'm not talking about the Disney one. The whole new world. The whole new universe. One we've not ever seen. In the current state of physics, pretty much every year we come up with some new possibility of another parallel universe. Can I tell you there is a parallel universe? It's called eternity, it's called the kingdom. It's called God's throne room. It's called heaven. It absolutely exists. And the laws of physics that we know today will have no bearing there because they won't be needed. Doesn't mean that maybe you won't still walk. It doesn't mean that maybe you won't fly. It just simply means it's a whole new world. And now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty plain and straightforward, isn't it? Your physical body cannot go to heaven. It's not suited for that place. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Two different natures, two different types of bodies. Before the resurrection, those after, Paul's just basically saying, look, when you enter into the kingdom, you're going to have a kingdom body. One fit for the heavens and for the heavenlies. 
The body that you currently have is made for this universe, the physical universe. And you're going to get a new one that's made for heaven. The Bible declares that when we uh, arrive in heaven, just as I shared with you there in 1 John 3, you're going to be like Jesus. You're going to be like the Lord. That doesn't mean fully like him in the sense that you're going to be God. But it does mean that you're going to be heavenly as he is heavenly. And so we're reminded here that we're going to bear the likeness of the man from heaven. And just as people recognize Jesus after his resurrection, they're in John 20. So you're going to be recognizable. You're going to have a reunion when you get to heaven. It's going to be absolutely glorious. People often ask you, well, what do we do in heaven? I don't know. But I know this. In the kingdom age, the lamb lies down with the lion. The little children will put their hands into the holes of serpents and not be bitten. So I don't know whether serpents become nice or we become immune to poison. I don't know, but that, both those things are good. I know that one of the great events in heaven is the marriage supper of the lamb. And I, I like food here. I can only imagine what heavenly food's like. So I, you know, I, and, and because there's going to be no death and dying, we're all going to be vegan. Now you're really bummed. No, there's going to be bacon trees and ham bushes. Be able to like pick it and you slice it and like put it on bread. And it'll taste just like ham, but you won't have to kill anything. I don't know. Verse 51. There comes the good part. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now remember that Paul wrote these words the better part of 2,000 years ago. So in order for this to be the word of God, it has to be perfectly true in every age. Amen? So whatever he's going to say, if it's not true then it's a lie. If it's a lie, it's not from God. Notice what he says. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Not every one of you that sleep listed there is a euphemism for dying. Not everyone's going to die. But we shall all be changed. He's writing to church. He's writing to Christians. He's saying, look, I want to tell you something. Here's a mystery for you. It's the mystery of the rapture of the church. Not everyone who is alive, not then and not now, is going to taste death. But everyone who's ever given their lives to Jesus will be changed into the incorruptible and those who have not will be changed into a corruptible, fully corruptible being and spend eternity away from God. We will all be changed. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And Paul's speaking of of the last days. And when I divide up the, the church into its periods of time, you really have five basic time periods that we see from the Old Testament to the end of the New. You have the Old Testament times, the times of the prophets, 
ended with the last prophet Malachi. There were 400 years of silence where God did not basically speak. We have no record of him talking to the Jewish people. The Jewish people had come into the promised land. And God delivered them into that land of promise. And then for 400 years, pretty much God said nothing. Or at least it's not recorded for us as scripture. So you have the Old Testament time. And during that time, you had prophets. You had God speaking to men in times past. Who bore the word of the Lord. And very often used phrases like, thus says the Lord. And those prophets carried forth a message. And that message from Genesis to the end of Malachi is one of the Savior who would come. Speaks of Messiah. Then you have the beginning of the church age. And actually the the end of that 400 year period, you have the life of Jesus. And while Jesus is alive, before he dies, he is completing the last of all of those things that were said about Messiah in the Old Testament. The moment Jesus is crucified on Calvary's cross and raised from the dead, you have the beginning of the church age. That age is the age in which we now exist. That church age from then to now is the age of grace. God's grace has been available to all of mankind. And every moment of that age, there has been a promise, and it applies in this verse. That in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, not every one of us is going to taste death, but we'll all be changed. And so every person who's died in that last moment of their life, in the last twinkle of their eye, if they believed in Jesus, guess what happened? They got changed. They went from corruptible to incorruptible. But there's a day coming that the Bible describes for us, really in, beginning in chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, but it really kind of starts in earnest in chapter 6 and verse 17. That in that little window of time, the end of the church age, and then the rapture of the church, before the tribulation begins, God says in that space, there's going to be some people who are going to exist all the way to that time when we who are alive and remain, the apostle Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, Or in chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air. Not that we're going to see him come back to the earth. That's the second coming. But we're going to leave the earth. We're going to get caught up. We are going to be snatched away by force, raptured into the presence of the Lord. And when that happens, we are going to be forever with him. Because here's what's going to happen. Seven years that's described in Revelation chapter 6 to chapter 19 of terror on this earth. That begins a peace treaty made with Israel. That peace treaty is struck. 
There is a world ruler that comes on the scene with a one world government, a one world religion, and a one world monetary system known as the Antichrist. He rises to power globally. There is literally a global economy, a global government, and a global religion. And that global religion pulls in Israel into a peace treaty. And for the first three and a half years, it will seem like this man is the answer to the world's problems. Except for a few billion people dying. The church is going to be gone. There will be no inference. There's going to be no missing us because we are going to be deemed as the ones who really were the problem. And now that we're gone, the world is rosy. The beginning of that seven-year period, the Antichrist is going to break his treaty with Israel. And he's going to set about destroying basically everything that's left on the face of the earth. At the end of that period of time, that final scroll will be unrolled. Who is worthy to unloose the scroll? Worthy is the Lamb of God. Jesus is going to open that up and he's going to say to all of us who are gathered in heaven, grab your horses, it's time to go. And he himself will mount up on a white stallion with the flame of the sword of the word of God coming out of his mouth. And then we're all coming back to the earth. And we're going to meet on the plains of Escadralian, the valley of Jezreel, Megiddo, the battle of Armageddon. Armageddon. A vast majority of that battle will take place in a place called the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which is directly adjacent Jerusalem. So from Haifa in the north, all the way through the plains of the Jezreel Valley, all the way down to Jerusalem, the enemy of God will raise up an army and they'll be gathered together against the Lord and the Lord himself will say, because there is no one to fight this battle, I will fight this battle and the blood of those killed will rise up to the bridle of the horse that he's on. I'm kind of thinking I'd like to not be here for that. Amen? Take a journey, Revelation 6 to 19, and ask yourself, no wonder Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, And and he reminds us, look, you you don't have to go there. Chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, For he has not appointed us unto wrath, but unto salvation. So for the church, the answer to get us out of that period of God's wrath is to take the church home. Because we've been saved from that wrath of God. You will never, as a believer, experience the wrath of God. It's what he saved you from. You're his child and he loves you. And one day he's going to take you home into that whole new world. It's going to be an instant transformation because your flesh, my flesh, in the moment, 
in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, verse 52 says, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed when that moment happens. This corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortality, this mortal must put on immortality. Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now the reason we need to be busy about our father's business is there's nothing left on the grand time scale that needs to be done before the church is taken home. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? There is nothing left in all of God's word that must happen before the church is taken home. There are many things that will happen during the tribulation, but there is nothing left because the last thing that needed to be accomplished was Israel needed to be gathered together into its own land. And that happened in 1948. They are together speaking one language in their own land, in the land of Canaan. That was the last thing. It's happened. Everything else can happen after the rapture of the church. So that t-shirt that I posted up on Instagram today, that could be a reality. That was a t-shirt from back, actually the first one I saw was in the 1970s. In the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and there it is, two empty pair pair of tennis shoes. Gone. That is why, family, we need to be in the gym preaching Jesus. And we need to be in the store preaching Jesus. And we need to be in the schools preaching Jesus. We need to be here tonight with all these kids from all over the South Bay preaching Jesus. That's why I'm preaching Jesus to you tonight. That is why the message of the gospel is the message that we have. That's why the word of God is central to what we do in this church. Without Christ, all men perish eternally, just as with Christ, all men are glorified eternally. That's why Paul said the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Because they can't believe that God would snatch the whole church out. They can't believe that we could be turned into eternal beings because we have these bodies that we dwell in now. Don't let that stand in the way between you and Jesus. If you're here tonight and you haven't believed, you're an unbeliever. And you will perish if you do not believe. And yes, that is, in a sense, meant to scare you because that's why Jesus talked about hell. So don't miss that part of the equation. Sometimes we try and just give people the good news without giving them the bad news and they're wondering, well, why do I need the good news? Make sure that you're truthful with the gospel. Most of us will probably experience death. But you're not going to stay dead. Amen? You're going to be raised in his likeness. That transformation is going to happen instantaneously. And that's why in that chapter that we began with, death and Hades will give up its dead. Why is that? Because Jesus is finally going to kill death itself. Amen? He is going to put to death death. 
From that point on, once the great white throne judgment happens, there will be no death ever. Death is going to give up its dead. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin. One of the things that we can testify of is that sin stings, amen? And at the end of sinning is death. Through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and through sin, death. So there isn't going to be any sin anymore either, amen? No more temptation. No more sin. You see, for us, I've sat with people, quite a few of them, who've taken their last breath. I've sat with children. I've sat with adults. I've sat with old people and young people, middle-aged people. I've held their hands. I can tell you there is a difference between holding the hand of someone who's going to heaven and someone who's going to hell. There is a difference. Because for us who know the Lord, it's the very best thing that could ever happen to you. You're escaping mortality. You're you're getting out of this earthly existence and out of temptation and sin and the thing that the enemy holds over us, which is what? It's death. We are literally scared to death, amen? We wander around going, will this kill me? What if I die doing this? We judge everything by will it kill me? But for a believer, death's not the end. It's a doorway. We don't fear it. It's like we're on this side of the door. It's like we want the door to swing open. It's like, get me home, Jesus. Amen? To the unbeliever, they're saying, oh, don't open that door. I don't know what's on the other side. I do. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the great I am. My Savior. And he loves me. And he can't wait to welcome me home. So one day my perishable body is going to go. So the sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. Man, anybody else going to be grateful to get rid of the law? You won't need any law in heaven. You got it? It won't be necessary. The law was a tutor, a schoolmaster unto Christ while you were here. You won't need it when you get to heaven. But thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we've been given that victory over sin and death through the Lord. As Paul would write there in Romans 6, For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Hallelujah. When I died to myself and said yes to Jesus, when I put off the old man and put on the new, I'm saying yes to new life in Christ. Since we died with Christ, we know that we shall share his new life as well. And we're sure of this because Christ rose from the dead and he will never die again. 
So death no longer has power. He died once to defeat sin, and now he lives to the glory of God. And though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Hallelujah. We as a church should be awfully excited about those verses. Because we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. And he has made us alive who have believed in his name. Satan seemed to be victorious in the garden, didn't he? You can almost see him in the background going, I got him. Yep. Check out what Eve's doing now. Watch that knucklehead Adam, man. He's going to follow her like boom. Booyah. Y'all be sinners now. You can almost see him gloating. Because you know what happened? They immediately started to die. And so now the enemy reminded them daily, you're going to die. You're going to croak. You better get what you can while you're here. And so Jesus whoops the devil's tail. He says, I got this. I'm going to defeat death. And oh, by the way, I'm taking out sin too. And those who believe in me, even when they die, they shall live. Christ overcame death. And one day you're going to overcome death as well. And therefore, verse 58, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in that work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in him. That's why we can serve the Lord with reckless abandon. That's why we can continue to do what we do. Because death can't take us. Sin can't take us. Oh, we can stumble. But my Savior defeated death. My Savior defeated sin. And so that work that I do for him will never be in vain. Because one day I'm stepping out of time and I'm stepping into eternity. This time on earth is valuable, family. Use it for his glory. Make no mistake about it. You were put here for a purpose. We were as a church. Use that time wisely. Maintain a heavenly perspective. Keep your eyes focused on heaven. In Jesus, let's face it, death got the death blow. He he has stepped on the neck of the serpent. It's been a slow death for the enemy. But one day, the Lord Jesus is going to grab him by his neck and bind him in chains and huck him into the pit and he will never get out again. Amen? So let's live like we believe that. Let's preach the gospel. Let's see people come to faith. Let's live our lives for him. Nothing is in vain to that end. Father, we thank you 
for sending your own son into this world. Lord Jesus, that you would come and give your life a ransom for us. It's beyond our understanding. Lord, why you would do that, save the glorious purpose of love. Lord, you love us, and you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so tonight, Lord, we pray there's anyone here that they would not escape your grace there's someone here tonight that doesn't know you that when we finish praying we finish singing that they would come to the front come stand here and make that public profession of faith in Christ or that they would invite you into their lives and for we who know you Lord we offer our lives back to you again fresh and new. God, use us. Make us steadfast and immovable. Always abounding in that work. It's not in vain in you. Or there's times sharing with our friends. Not in vain. There's times when we proclaim your name in the workplace and we read our Bibles. It's not in vain. Or we tell our children about you. It's not in vain. It will bear much fruit, Lord. So we ask that you would cause us to be fruitful for your kingdom. We love you, we praise you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.